Hello and welcome to the Formidable Over 40 podcast. I'm Sarah Pittendrake, a mum, award-winning entrepreneur, cancer survivor, mentor and coach. In series two of the podcast, we're sharing new stories along with the ethos that you are never too old and it's never too late to design a life you love. On this episode, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Australian broadcaster and author Sheridan Stewart. Sheridan has recently published her book, I Am Enough, which recounts a 90-day challenge to find contentment through spending less, feeling happier, and focusing on the things that matter the most. The book is an antidote to the constant pressure we are under to do more, have more, and be more. Sheridan's broadcasting career spans more than 20 years, and she has been one of Australia's favourite FM, music, radio, personalities, and presenters. After suffering with feelings of burnout and the demands of being pulled in so many different directions, Sheridan realised a necessity to write her book and changed her approach to life, which I'm so excited to hear more about. Before we do, please can I ask you to rate and subscribe to the Formidable Over 40 podcast so I can keep sharing more inspirational stories. So, good morning, Sheridan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. I love your ethos. Oh, thank you so, so much. Well, could you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself? My current self is working part-time for the national broadcaster who I've been full-time with for the last nine years. So that's the equivalent of Red BBC yeah, in the UK. And of course, for us, it's the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. So we from being an FM music presenter, which quite frankly is a very easy, very fun job. Um, you talk a little bit between songs, chat with a few listeners, do a few contests and play an awful lot of music. And, you know, I absolutely loved it. I had a blast doing that. But I always felt the urge to do what I would call meaningful content. When we had the opportunity to come to the ABC, I was so excited, Sarah. I was so excited. I've absolutely loved it. I put my hand up for everything. And that, at some point, became part of the problem. So I guess we'll get to that as yeah. we tick along and the reasons why I've gone part-time for 12 months, just to pull back to press prayers mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, take a deep breath and, and have a look at perhaps, you know, perhaps doing things a little bit differently. It will be the same job, but maybe doing it differently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I, it sounds like my ideal job doing what you're doing with the, with music and presenting and and I, I've just got into podcasting over the last sort of year and I just love you know all, all these wonderful interviews and these these people who who are meeting I mean you must meet some meet some very interesting people in, in your line of work do you oh absolutely everyone from politicians to musicians and everything in between and some of the most interesting conversations are with everyday people. I mean, an example, when people say, you know, who is your own time favourite interview? Well, it wasn't an interview, it was actually a phone call. I'd, I'd, when I was back in FM radio and I'd played a song and it was a song that, um, that was from the UK and I, I talked briefly, you know, to my audience saying, oh, I, I went overseas and one of the real highlights was taking a friend with me who'd been agoraphobic, who'd been scared of going outside and quite socially phobic. And yeah. the fact that she got to a point where she could travel, you know, international travel and this song, whatever it was, really captured that moment. 
one week later, a listener called and reminded me of that and said, I just wanted to thank you because after I heard that, I thought, if Sheridan's friend can go overseas, maybe I can walk out the front door and go to the post box. Yeah. She did for the first time in five years. Yeah. And that is the, the power of what we'll do, Sarah, you know, in yeah. sharing our stories. Exactly. I know who needs to hear it, whether it's in a podcast or in a book. And that's so important. And and and, and I, when you when you were sharing that particular story, I got that stab in my stomach because I was agoraphobic in my twenties, okay. and I, I I totally totally can uh, resonate with what you're saying. And this is why, like you, I feel it's so important to share your stories because what can sometimes happen is people can look at us at the at the end of our journey as to sort of where we are now, and 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 think, oh, you know. I'm not enough because I'm not like them, potentially, you know, when to see women who are strong or successful or they've, they've, they've done well in the career. And, and they can look at your destination. But, and that can sort of, I think that can create lim- like sort of self-limiting beliefs in people. And that's why I want to share with them that, hold on a minute, you're, you're looking at where I am today. I wasn't there in my 20s. In my 20s, I was agoraphobic, suffering from panic attacks every day. And, you know, you, but what I'm trying to do with the Formidable Over 40 podcast and through my I Can method and so forth is to share the stories and to get my my guests to share their stories and our vulnerabilities so that like what you did there, sharing, it inspires other people to say, hang on a minute, if they can do that, I can too. Do you see where I'm coming from? And I, I think that it's Absolutely. so important, so important to share, to share our stories—the good, the bad, and the sometimes ugly. Absolutely, and I would um, love to add to that conversation by saying I think that in our time, our current times with social media, we've now got everyday people trying to emulate um, movie stars, rock stars, people with lots and lots of money and then present that in a, a snapshot, a, a very well-crafted, light-perfect, fluted yeah. picture. So even our friends look like they're having a better life than we are. God, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that is the thing that very much concerns me. And again, for the next generation, I think, again, it's important. But certainly for me, my, my passion and my ethos is to ensure that I share the reality of my journey as an entrepreneur and as a mum, because I don't want the next generation to just believe this laminated lifestyle that is being portrayed on social media, where you have to be perfect and you're never enough. And you'll understand that, obviously, because of the book you've just written, which we're going to talk about. And and I'm and I like you, um, I'm very passionate um, to ensure that you know we keep it real. The authentic uh, verse needs to come through. The authentic face needs to be seen. I'm pretty sure if I had uh, a, a second bite at the cherry and get to write another book, it'll be about you know that instead of you know, the age gracefully, age gratefully. Yeah, no, that is that is so true. We maybe should write that book together, Sheridan, because I tell you what, I yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely on the same page. Pardon the pun, as you. So rolling on now to Formidable Over 40. So really, we've kind of covered why I'm doing Formidable Over 40, the podcast. It's because, well, one, I want to share authentic journeys so that people 
who may be listening. It may be women in midlife. It might be the next generation. I want them to understand that life isn't always, you know, plain sailing. And there are peaks and troughs, but it's often the the failings, which I believe are lessons and opportunity in disguise, that shape us for the better. And we shouldn't be afraid of it. And it's those those lessons, as I say, that can make us formidable. So if I asked you, what does formidable over 40 mean to you? Think about to turning 40 and before I had leading up to that, that, you know, some sort of, you know, ripe ending and... I don't know whether it was going to be. I wasn't where I thought I'd be. You know, I, I'd something forty all my life. There's some sort of goal when when I got there. I thought I'd have you know cleaners and a two-story house and all these. You know, all these. I did absolutely nothing to bring that about. Ironically, I hadn't focused myself in a way that would put me in a financial situation where I could afford someone else to do my house cleaning. So there was that. There was also um, something that I. I guess it's a little ironic is that I'd spent, you know, the first phase of adulthood quite overweight and terribly self-conscious about it. And when I hit 40 for the first time, and I was only like this for a one minute, it was the size I'd always wanted to be. I didn't stay there very long, but I was the size I always wanted to be. And I don't know what I thought would happen. Some sort of crazy magic would happen and my life would be, you know, very Hollywood. But I remember thinking, you know, the real freedom um, for me was A, um, just putting on a pair of jeans and walking out the door. And what really struck me was Sheridan is Sheridan at 40, at 20, you know, at whatever age I get to live to. Um, this size, that size, it's actually all just me and it doesn't matter. Yeah. In that, um, life became... At least um, a journey towards feeling um, formidable, you know, feeling like, hey, you know, this is me, like it or lump it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, um, it's it's very true, isn't it? It's those decades, isn't it, that we go through. And it's like, you know, we're the foundation of our future, aren't we? And so we're the base layer. And then we've got all these decades that are, are, are either, they're either building us up or they're holding us down, aren't they? And it's like, you see, you've either got to think, are you being weighed down by the layers of the decades or are the layers of the decades building you up? So going back, right the way back to when Sheridan was 15, what were your dreams and hobbies? Absolutely horse mad. And probably just and then to get interested in sex. So <laughs> that was a little distracting. Before that, it was just horses, horses, horses. Yeah. And growing up in a uh, sort of mother household from from my sort of high school years, there wasn't a lot of money to go around. And even before that, you know, I was one of those kids that banged for a pony. And yeah. I never got one. But my parents did say, if you want something badly enough, you can go out there and get it. We're not doing it for you. So yes. I was one of those kids that I would get up, they never stopped me. I got up before dawn, I walked for a couple of miles to the train station, caught a train, had to wait 20 minutes for a bus, caught the bus, and so I could pick up someone else's horse pool and maybe have a chance to ride that horse somewhere during the day. So I, was, I always had that passion and drive that I could make something happen. Let's talk about your book. So um, I've, got, I've got a copy of it here, which it's, it's absolutely fabulous. I have enough. I do enough and I am enough. So 
uh, this this book really resonates with me, and um, I've, I've only got I'm still only in chapter one um, because I'm I've got that many things going on. But it is absolutely fabulous, and I can't wait to get stuck into it again this evening. Part one, letting go. That's that's where I'm up to, and. You know, I'd have, I was I was laughing. There's a there's a part in it about you, you talk about notebooks, <laughs> <laughs> about starting a new. I, I honestly, I wish you could see in my office. I don't know how many notebooks I've got, and it's always about every time I start a new project. Oh, I need a new notebook, and I need a new pen. And it's like, <laughs> and I love the way that you started picking up your other, you know, you know your notebooks and started writing in them again as an example. And, and I have your voice in, inside my head now when, I, when I'm going shopping. And it's like, do you really need 25 navy blue pulled and jumper, Sarah? I mean, is there, some, is there something different about every one of those? And, and do you need 42 pairs of jeans that are all slim legs, 32 length, and all look the same colour? <laughs> I do have you on my shoulder, and I am, I am working through the process. So tell me. Tell me about your book. Tell me about what the purpose of it and and and, and why you wrote it. I don't think I'm the only person who wrote during a pandemic. We're sent to be seeing a spout of wonderful books and the generals included, um, where people have um, taken the time to actually articulate and share what's going on for them. So for me, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, the precursor to that was what you would have all seen on your television, which was the Black Summer bushfires here in Australia. Yeah. They were catastrophic, and you know, as a national broadcaster, we are the emergency broadcaster, the go-to people, and everything got taken over. The airwaves, twenty-four hours a day around the nation, we were you know broadcasting through these amazing conditions. I mean, that bizarre thing where you know you're doing a part, but it just feels so small compared to the people who are there on the front line. And I think we're seeing a lot of burnout in my industry. And it sort of began there for me personally. I found it very hard to switch off, you know, knowing that um, wildlife, you know, vitamins, um, animals were, were, you know, being burned to death um, was just something that I just couldn't sleep and worrying about. The finals actually started in my broadcast region here in southeast yeah. Queensland. Uh, they started in winter. It's called Black Summer, but it actually started in winter. And it swept through all these places that I'd lived and worked, you know, over the last, you know, three or, uh, two or three decades. So yeah. I felt connected to, to all of these places. And then at the tail end of that, you know, the last fires, you know, still smoldering and along comes the announcement that, um, you know, we're in a global pandemic and even the criminals, rebel firefighters have to go out and it was a pandemic and you're not allowed to, you know, be in the same room with other people or touch other people. It just, yeah. it just really did my head in. But I just kept going because... Um, you know, it, it's very much that case of um, the show must go on, somebody's got to do it, we must rise to the occasion. And compared to, and I kept doing that comparison thing, which is always deadly, compared to other people, I didn't think I had it that tough. So I didn't really see the early signs. Actually, that's not true. I did, but I chose to ignore them. I kept, yeah. you know, going down that, I must, I must, I must, I must keep going. 
And so I did. So it probably started back then. And I knew to steal my journaling because I've always, you know, kept a journal. I'm just obsessed with um, stationery. I could just yes. buy a new notebook every Me day. Too. And every, every time I'm going to start a new project, it has to have this new notebook. And I've been wanting the word enough in this lovely cursive. My handwriting is very messy in general, but there's something about the flow of the word. And I just kept saying this word appears like I was doodling it unconsciously. And a couple of other things happened, so I'll try and get through this quickly because there's a whole book about it. But basically, again, for the second time in my life, I'd lost this weight that I'd, um, you know, felt so uncomfortable about and so um, self-conscious about, you know, my whole adult life, apart from that red hot moment when I was 40. Anyway, I'd found what I thought was the solution, and I'd actually held that weight off for four years, and I was doing something quite restrictive and very healthy, so, you know, no regrets. It was starting to creep back on. My husband was living and working in another state, and, you know, along comes the pandemic, and that became harder. We were several builders apart from each other, and, you know, we've got the, the, the pudding, so, you know, flying around, all the flights had stopped. It was harder and harder to see each other and spend time together. Everything was very, very tenuous. And at the same time, I came into um, an inheritance. So I mentioned my background coming from that kind of single mother environment where the times were pretty tight through my teen years. And I just, um, I was just overcome with generosity, really, and started doing all sorts of strange things with money. And I'm complaining about my weight and my husband, and bless him, because, you know, this could have ended very badly. He um, took a deep breath and put his hands on my shoulders and he said, I think you should have a look at how much you're spending in cafes and restaurants. If you're upset about your rent and you're worried about money, have a look at you know how much you're eating out. And it was one of the few things we could do. I don't know what it was like. I think even lockdowns were more extreme than ours. But mm-hmm. after the first lockdown, we could go to a cafe or you could order takeout. And, you know, so this sort of food thing, and I'd always been a foodie anyway, was taking on larger than life proportions. We could go to a cafe, meet a friend, sit down, take our masks off for a few minutes and eat and then put them back on. So, you know, to my um, defence, that was one of but really, I've always been someone who eats in cafes and restaurants. And he said, I think you should do a sort of forensic look at your bank statements from the last three months. And it looked stronger was coming out of my ears and I felt that no really strange to point out all the ways he was wasting money. But instead, I took a deep breath because there was truth in it. And I thought, okay, yeah. I'm feeling defensive because, you know, he's um he's hit the sore spot. I'm going to do that. And yes, I could see I was spending more than necessary in cafes and restaurants. And that, had, you know, caused me to let go of some of the good habits that had held, you know, yeah. in a space when I felt okay about my body. I still, of course, wanted to be thinner, but that's, you know, that's a thing. Um I also picked up on a few other things, Sarah. So I'm quite a driven person, and now I'm even broadcasting to everyone who's working from home and, you know, or not working and receiving extra government support because, you know, all of those things rolled out during those lockdown times. I was actually working more than ever, but I started doing the things that I was telling other people to do, you know, take an online course, this, that, and the other. So I was buying flowers for friends, you know, because you could send them interstate willy-nilly. Um, every charity that, you know, rang me or emailed me or shook a tin at me, 
I was mm-hmm. donating to. I just sort of was feeling sort of financially expansive until I could see it trickling away. I mean, I was nervous. I even bought a podcasting course for $999 that expired before I could use it. Uh, I didn't even get to, to do I, I did ring them and because and, it was put together by, you know, someone who had a broadcasting background. And I said, oh, yeah. I'm sure I work for the ABC. I've done Black Summer. I've done the pandemic. I've been too busy to do this. Can I please have an extension? Yeah. And um, well, for me, and said, so, I know we don't do that, but for oh, $99, you can join this. And then you can, and it's like, no, no, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, um, I just began to contemplate the mantra, I have enough. Yeah. I do enough. I am enough. That mantra started coming up. And I thought, well, I look back three months. What if I look forward three months, 90 days? which I love because it's a season and every season is different and we're meant to change. Mm-hmm. And so I created a 90-day challenge based on what I was seeing in my own behaviour. And, yeah. and nobody has to do this the same way as me. But some people are, you know, <laughs> are taking a leaf out of that um, particular idea. Probably it was no cafes and restaurants for 90 days. And that's mm-hmm. like, no, no, not even a cup of coffee. Um, I did end up with a small caveat to try and make it successful, but I didn't end up using. I put $5 in my wallet. Yeah, I I, that, yeah. You know, when you coffee, I'll have one. I think I only perhaps used it once in the 90 days. I just got used to making and taking my own. And the third part was to go home from work on time, to not do any unpaid overtime. And you can probably guess which one I failed at. So I'd written this page in my journal, which appears in the book as day one, literally without any editing. That's literally what I wrote that day with the notebooks and the, you know, seeing my my habits and, and yeah. deciding to do a 90-day challenge. It's just a personal journal entry. The next day I was doing my radio program. We were through the worst of those lockdowns. Of course, um, COVID is still with us on the planet, but you know, life was kind of getting back to normal and we were allowed to have guests back in the studio. And I had a guest in, her name is um, Georgia Hooper, and she writes on mindfulness. And we had a little bit of a chat on there, and I did a segment called Mindful Mondays. And it was right at the end of my show. So at the end of the show, I come off the air, take the studio off and switch it over to another studio, and I'm done and dusted. And she happened to be friends with one of my colleagues, and she said, I want to hear you're a writer as well. When you're writing, I talked a bit about my fiction, and then I said, but, you know, I wrote this journal entry last night and I think it's a book. And I feel it's wrangling now and that I should act soon. And so I told her about it and she said, absolutely, you should yeah. um, pitch it right now, today, and pitch it to this particular publisher. And I'm like, hey, sister, I've got one page. I can't do a one-page pitch. It would have made a better story if I had, of course, but I did three pages. Yeah. I pitched I pitched to that particular publisher and then I went and made a coffee and then I pitched to another two. I just sort of put it out there. Two of them didn't take unsolicited work. All three of them got back wanting more. But the publisher I went with, um, who I believe you know, I will never forget her email. It was was like, gosh, we were less than an hour that, that I'd actually sent this, you know, pitch out, which was tiny. It was like, you know, a couple of lines, a tiny bio, and these three single, well, two and a half pages, I think it was. Yeah. And she wrote back to me and she said, Sheridan, I had a million things to do today, but when I saw the title of your book, I had to stop and read it. Can we talk more? Do you have more? 
in front of everyone. I just had such a good feeling. The other two got back as well. But in the end, it was that initial email that just said to me, this person gets me, I want to work with this person. Yeah, it's very powerful. I mean, that, that you know, that, that those three strong lines, I have enough, I do enough, and I am enough. It's, I mean, it's incredibly powerful. And so, so I mean, I know for myself, reading through it, it's, it, it is so true. I mean, I, I was bankrupt 14 years ago and my home was repossessed and I had absolutely no money at all. And I lived so frugally and yet I still survived. And yet, isn't it interesting that as, as certainly from, I can speak for myself, it's like, as I've built my businesses and got, had more money, and done, how easy it is to get back into that pattern. But I look around my office and I must be able to see about 30 bloody notebooks and about, I can't tell you how many fountain pens, you know, that are uh, that are all the same bloody colour and all doing the same thing. And I'm thinking, you know, what the hell? And it, and it was reading your book that, that just made me realise that why do we waste so much money? Why do we need we're bombarded with that messaging the whole time. Of course, you know, that's not the stuff that really counts. Then the books are important. Hang a couple of notebooks, but you know, yeah, yeah let's go back up before we um before we go buying more. Let's use what we have. And yeah, so that's that's where the journey began. We both um, you know, shouldn't even finish the ninety day challenge when I had to sit down and um, you know, do a fuller pitch and really put together what the book was going to look like. Mm-hmm. And it's been described as memoir wrapped in self-help. So yeah, and they wrote the the personal stories first and the reflections, mm-hmm. and then that kind of you know got sculpted. It was like putting together a big jigsaw puzzle in the end. Yeah, um, and then worked it around, or it just it became a natural fit with the different frames and the different parts of the book and that ninety-day challenge. Um, just struck me as maybe I'm not the only one that's going to benefit from this. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the feedback, because I always think it's wonderful, isn't it? Where I've, I've, been, I've been watching on Instagram where you've been popping up some um, testimonials from from the people who've been reading your book. Um, and it's wonderful, isn't it, when you get that, that feedback from someone who's actually read your book. Um, have you had anything that's been particular standout feedback from from your readers? Uh, the main standout, sir, has been that everyone is saying similar things, mm. and that is so heartwarming because you know that that is my intention is that it's something relatable. I didn't want to write another an expert telling you how to do something. This is very, it's very real. It's very real. Um, people are saying, oh, don't cry. Ex- I didn't expect that. I think people would cry, but apparently some of them had. Yeah, the consistent feedback has been, I felt like you wrote this for me or I felt like you wrote this about me. Thank you for being so honest. Thank you for being so vulnerable. That lovely thing when we all get to feel connected and relatable. It's probably what I call the Oprah factor. Like we first, you know, um, in Australia, some people are like, when is she crying? It's like this woman is so authentic, you know, to see somebody who, who could just be herself she's probably had a bigger impact on you know those of us um uh, like our good selves that are you know perhaps 10 15 20 years younger and um, you know growing up with her or, or i was already growing up really but in my 20s when she was yeah. rising and rising and rising 
I saw something about that and it was something that I guess because I wrote writing, writing presenters in, in FM music, it was very much a, a women-dominated industry. So much in the ABC, there's always been strong women out there in the, the commercial world of radio. I didn't actually have any role models, so I didn't necessarily sound like anybody else. And sometimes, sometimes being a trailblazer, it's not too bad. And when Oliver comes Oprah, and it was like this validation, it's like, yeah. I think it's really important to, you know, to have books like like this because, and to share the stories because there's a lot of, um, especially in women, you know, for women in in business and women who are out there as role models, because it can be very lonely. It can be a very very lonely space, um, yeah. and there's this there's this real fear of losing the authority that you've built up over the decades. By sharing vulnerability, isn't there? So, so sometimes people won't speak out, and therefore they're holding in a lot of angst. But when they then read, you know, stories like books that you've put out, I've put out podcasts like this, and it can, it suddenly it gives them that light bulb moment. I would say of hope, so that they they know that it's not just them, um, and uh, you know, and I, and I think it's really important to. To help people reconnect with what really matters um, mm. in in life, because they can get very lost. I always say you've got to remember that you're not just a someone; you're a someone too. And <laughs> you know, and it's true, isn't it? Because we can lose our identity in 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 being a someone's. You know, we're always a someone's, aren't we? But at the end of the day, we are still very much a someone, and that has to be our priority. Um, yes, and and we must be ourselves because the I guess in, in offering a book, it's it's also helped me with that identity shift. I still love my job. I'm you know in the front of some of the people I I work with at the ABC, but I'm known as LBC Sheridan Stewart. Before that, I was Triple M Sheridan Stewart, and I know that that brand is attached to you. And in writing this book, it's just here I am, and then, you know, hopefully it's enough. What would you say? Like, obviously, you you you've gone to, talked about going through the decades and, and what you've done and what you're doing. But now, Sheridan, today, what would you say? And, and as a result of writing the book as well, what what's driving you now? What is your why? I think I've always something I identified in my twenties when I met Rob. Always been a bit of a self help junkie, you know, the mm-hmm. Oprah factor. You probably guessed it. Um, but looking at the, the why of life and then importantly looking at um, what runs me over, like what a sense of perhaps purposes. Yeah. That's all else, but if I can help others see that they have choice mm. when, I, when I'm doing my job, that's kind of what I feel like I was put on the planet to do, help others see they have choice. We don't, of course, always choose, and I'm not the first person or the last person to say this, we can't always choose everything that happens to us. We are not omnipresent. Um, you know, none of us chose the pandemic. We all have aspects of our life that nobody would put their hand up and go, yes, please, you know. And and you will meet throughout the course of this book, my dear friend, Mel, who passed away just before Christmas, but she chose every moment she could to be positive, to be present, and to be present for herself. You know, it was an extraordinary thing that she allowed me into her world. And then, so, yes, of course, you can share whatever you like, Sheridan. Um, if I could face half the challenges and half the incredible things she's gone through 
even a fraction of that grace, um, then then I think we'll you know feel pretty complete. It's, it's yeah. extraordinary, you know. What we can do um, as in the ethos of your book as well, you know, that the I can method. And you know, although it's not about you, you know, it's never too late. You're never too old. You're never too late. And until you can't, you can. And then that's it. I was like that to her very last breath. You know, she yeah. when she could. Yeah, absolutely. Oh goodness me, absolutely. And and the podcast now our, our interviews. I could speak to you all day, Sheridan. Gosh, um, our podcast is sadly interview coming to it to an end. And and on that, coming to the conclusion, what advice and pay? You know, if you were to pay forward and share some advice to anyone who's listening now, there might be someone sitting at a crossroads thinking, oh, God, I just don't know where to go, what to do. You know, it, it, it happens at midlife, doesn't it? That midlife crossroads. What words of wisdom would you share to somebody who may be feeling stuck and just doesn't really know which way to turn? <laughs> I guess it's a probably uh, a bit of a modern take on uh, the Buddhist uh quote who apparently the Buddha once said when you get to a crossroad and you don't know which way to go, sit down and my way of saying that is press pause, it doesn't mean that you are giving up and I think people really get confused between surrender and giving up you know, sacrifice you know, sacrifice is just letting go of something lower in order to attain something higher, so press pause, you can always go back to that thing if it's going to work for you but maybe you'll go back to it with a little bit of new insight, press pause and reflect, you know, take that time, give yourself the time to let those correct choices for now, so you will in your own route, not who you were 20 years ago, not what your parents or society or anyone else says you should be, the choices that you want to make right now that are right, you let them emerge because they're in there. They just, they just yeah. need some space. You need to you know, press pause from all the crazy and all the great things you do. Sometimes it can be even harder for those of us that love what we do to just stop and take account and go, I love this, but maybe maybe I've held enough. Maybe it's time to step back. And then yeah, that's going to just press pause. Just give yourself those little moments. I mean, that's such wonderful advice because pressing pause, as you say, just to unravel those whirring thoughts. And sometimes we're so very focused on on what we think we want because of what we are being told that we need and who we should be and who we shouldn't be. And if what you're saying there by pressing pause and just giving ourselves that time to think and sometimes to, to actually unravel, it's easier to think, what do I not want? What do I not like? What do I not want to put up with anymore? And then by listing all of those things can then clear space for the what I really do want to come in, can't it? Yes, but you do have to let go and make space. Nothing you can come in and that's where when we're in danger of just retreading the same path over and over again, hoping for a different result. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Sheridan, thank you so, so much for taking the time to... Um, to, to chat to me and and to my guests on Formidable Over 40. Before I uh, say goodbye, can you share with the listeners where they would be able to uh, find out more about you and where they can buy this fantastic book, I Have Enough, I Do Enough, 
And I am in a starting to get my major on with Instagram. So, you know, that's a yeah. place that I'm enjoying. There's a lot for me to learn. I have no idea really what I'm doing or how to share things. I'm making it up as I go, but I will learn and I will respond to you if you message me. Stuart, you know, it's amazing. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. And yeah, I, I'm an absolute delight chatting to you. So thank you ever so much. So thank you for listening um, to the Formidable Over 40 podcast. Thank you so much to the fabulous Sheridan for joining us and sharing her wonderful story and all about her book. Please head over to the show notes to find links to connect with Sheridan and get a copy of her book. Follow the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and please do share Formidable Over 40 with anyone you think will enjoy it or needs to hear it.